Hey, Waypoint Church. Uh, my name is Eric Weiner. I'm one of the pastors here at, at Waypoint, and I am here today with Pastor Danny, who's one of our associate pastors and does a lot of stuff with international student ministry, and then uh, Erica Cassioni, who is our uh, director of women's care. And uh, we we are so excited uh, at this point in the life of our church to, to be transitioning to the book of Exodus. Uh, I think maybe maybe some of the women in our church are, are giving a sigh of relief that, that we're finally. I think we've been they've been studying uh, the the Genesis narrative for many months now. But uh, in, in God's providence and God's timing, we are we are transitioning together into into Exodus, and so something something new. And uh, as I've as I've been thinking about preparing for this time, one of the things I've been actually thinking about is this is it's almost like um, it's almost like a movie where you see like. Uh, I mean, the Pentateuch is 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 all con- it's one connected story, just like the Bible is all one connected story. It's telling one story that we think ultimately leads to Jesus. But this is this is kind of like in Les Mis, where you have this this scene change, where you, and, and it gives you this these details about okay, there's there's a there's a time change in, in the in the course of the story, and and that's what ha- what's what's happening here in Exodus. There's there's a change in time. There's a change in period. Um, and you see that in the beginning of, of Exodus, these first seven verses uh, of Exodus chapter one, you see how Moses is, is bringing the story forward. Okay, now there's there's years later. It's still connected. You have you have these these people, um, this family that's come into Egypt. This that started as seventy, um, but they're they're growing, um, and so so there's this this very clear connection. It's connected, and so uh, in, in Exodus one seven, Moses is. He's clearly drawing our attention to the growth of Israel that had taken place over the last 400 plus years. And so they, it, in, in verse 7, it says this. It says they were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers, became so numerous, and filled the land. And so the question is, is what's, what's Moses doing here? Why? Why is he so emphatically pointing this out to us? Yeah, good, good question, Eric. And just to know... Are you allowed to give a layman's reference without Lawrence being here? Is he going to feel like left out? That, that Eric, yeah, he's going to feel left out that we did the layman's reference. But we are so glad to be with you guys. And yeah, as we process Exodus, I've been thinking about this a lot, but this question is really a Genesis question. So Exodus, you know, 1, 1 through 7 just starts off saying that the, that the, the descendants of Jacob, his 12 sons, come and they, they're here and they're in Egypt, and then they just multiply. In the NIV, it says the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. And I looked up this word and found one commentary that notes this is only used for humans twice, only here and after the flood. Normally, it's the word like team, teamed with fish or something or frogs. It's more of an animal word. Like it's it's multiplying very, very rapidly. So there's two times in the narrative where God gives them almost the supernatural ability. And this is the fulfillment of the promise that God makes to Abraham in uh, Genesis 12. And he confirms again in Genesis uh, you know, 17. He confirms it with Isaac. He confirms it with Jacob, that they will have many descendants. It's the promise that, that actually Abraham got scared about. He got yeah. scared that you know, it may not happen. So he has Ishmael. But God honors this promise through Isaac, through Jacob, through Jacob's descendants. And now we're at this point. And the, you know, Moses, who we believe wrote Exodus, and it was edited later. And what we have is, is the final copy 
but we believe that this was written to show that God answered his promise. And that's what the author of Exodus, that's what Moses is showing us as he's presenting this material to the original audience who's hearing it as they're leaving Egypt, you know, after the Exodus and to us, we see God fulfilled his promise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and rightly so. I mean, after, after what happens with, with the fall and the, and the curses that, that are, are given out by God, uh, there's, there's worry. There's, there's, there's a legitimate concern about this being removal, being removed from this land of abundance. And yet here, here we are where now, now they're taken outside of that. They're not, they're not in the promised land that, that God has, has promised to give them. They're, they're in a, a foreign land. And even, even now, the, the circumstances have changed. There, there's a new king who doesn't know Joseph, who is, is now deciding, okay, we don't like foreigners. And so Israel has found themselves as foreigners in a land where people hate foreigners. Um, and so their circumstances have, have become really bleak in, in a sense. I mean, they're, they're now acting against them in such a way as to, uh, to do them harm, to, to oppress them. Um, and yet, and yet God's still showing his faithfulness. Uh, and so, so the circumstances of, of Israel are showing us that, that life isn't always balanced. It's not, it's not always fair. And, and so what do, you, what do you notice about the changing circumstances for Israel and Egypt from the end of Genesis to the beginning of Exodus? What do we see happening here? Uh, well, one commentary I was looking at pointed out how Genesis 46.8 and Exodus 1.1 are almost word for word the same, where they recount Jacob's sons, but the circumstances are completely different. In Genesis, it comes after uh, Jacob's been reassured, you know, normally I don't want you to go to Egypt. Normally bad things happen there, but right. I'll be with you. Go there. And it's good. They, you know, escape famine. But here they're in Egypt and they're enslaved. So the circumstances are almost completely different. And it seems like, is God different? Uh, you know, did God lead them astray? Um, but yet we'll see as the story goes on that God is the same. God is faithful. And um, so I think that's applicable always um maybe in our current circumstances especially um. yeah yeah i mean given given our current circumstances as, as i mean they're now israel's trying to navigate what do we do what, do, what does life look like in the midst of of trials of, of, of that are that are, seem to just want to squash us and another um, thing that, i'm sorry yeah, no, another no. thing that stood out too is lots of times um when israelites are enslaved or there's a great you know, disaster like the flood. Normally, we know it's because they've disobeyed, but in this circumstance, it just seems like yeah. they're just in a bad circumstance. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. a great point. Yeah, I think I think we do that. I think we do that too. Like we we want mm -hmm. to think that in some ways our, our circumstances are directly related to our actions, our behaviors, and and we kind of pointed this out last week. Maybe 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 we want to think that okay, uh, something bad's happening, so it must be a reflection of me. Mm -hmm. But that, that's not always the case. It's not always the case that, that our circumstances are a one-to-one -one correlation. Um, and, yet, and yet we suffer. And yet, mm -hmm. and yet we experience trials of, of various kinds that um, feel un, unbearable. And, so, and the two couldn't be simultaneous. If they're in Egypt and the fulfillment of the covenant is true and they become a great people, Egypt can't be great anymore. So yeah. almost like... As God's fulfilling one of his promises, the suffering comes because 
the other, if one nation becomes great, all the other nations are going to be like, "Ooh, I don't want them to be great. I, we want to stay great. Mm-hmm. They're a threat to us, right. you know." And, and that even leads into the next thing. So I, so sometimes you're doing what God's asked you to do, and that becomes a threat, and it becomes, you know, something where we just you just have to trust God. Mm-hmm. And this this is one of those moments for yeah. for them. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I think that you know I was actually listening to uh, a talk that that Tim Keller gave last night, and he was he was talking about this idea just just given our, our present reality of um, like our, our present circumstances dealing with the the coronavirus and, and um, people experiencing a lot of suffering and trials and economic crisis and, and job status and, and sickness, all these things. Um, He's asking questions about what what do we do in times of suffering because suffering will find us all, and and so he was talking about these different these different worldviews that and how they approach suffering and trials and um, and one of the things he said is that that uh, modernity uh, secularism it has not prepared us well for suffering at all and in fact um, we we've done a, an amazing job of creating this infrastructure for comfort. And now, now an, an unknown, unseeable illness, a virus, has completely wiped out that infrastructure. And so we're scrambling. We're trying to say, what, what do we do here? Um, what, what, what advice can we take from, from Israel in this? Yeah. And almost that? like we're all, modern people are all like pharaohs. We're all have the resources that only kings and very, very wealthy people in the past had. You know, now as modern people, we we have the comforts that a pharaoh or a king or a rich man would have had, even if we're middle class. So mm-hmm. when things start falling apart, we start panicking and, and try to take things in our own hands. And and throughout the the Pentateuch and the Old Testament into the New Testament, it's always God saying, "Trust me, mm-hmm. trust me. Seek first my kingdom. I'm their king." Trust me, and and even as God's developing the story, we see Moses rising up as that guy that he's he's raising up to trust, just like he raised up Abraham. Yeah, the the ruler of of Egypt, this new king, has uh, is is creating all these strategies to try to to thwart uh, Israel, but also to to what he's doing is he's trying to thwart God's plans. He's trying to thwart God's blessings. And yet God, God is still providing, God's still working. He's still, he's, his plans are coming to fruition despite uh, everything that, that is being done to try to, to counteract it. Um, and you have this interesting birth account that's taking place. And so um, it's interesting, this, this pivot point between Exodus 1 and 2, there's, there's a lot of women who play a prominent role surrounding Moses' birth. Um, what do you find so significant about the mention of these faithful women? Oh, I just love that they're mentioned by name. I love that um, in Genesis, normally when women are mentioned, immediately it talks about their fertility or their appearance. But for these women, we hear about their compassion and their cleverness, their resourcefulness, their bravery. Um, I love the midwives that they are, you know, this example of people who are willing to trust and obey God rather than an evil regime, you know, it makes me think like a modern days of people who would, you know, hide slaves on the Underground Railroad or in Nazi Germany who would take Jewish people into their home, Cory Timboom or something like that. Um, and I love the 
that Moses' mom, her love um, forced her to act in bravery. And um, even Moses' adoptive mom, the princess, that she had compassion on him as well. And um, I especially love Miriam, the sister that shows yeah. up and is really, you know, clever and yeah. sneaky and doesn't, you know, um, she doesn't give in to fear at all, but, you know, steps in. And I think, I think it's neat just that we get this little window. We don't hear that much about them later on. I mean, Miriam some, but that they pay, play such a pivotal role, you yeah. know, had they not been courageous and trusting, then yeah. Moses wouldn't have survived and we wouldn't have the, you know, rest of this account. Right. And it, one commentator I saw noted that the first time God's mentioned and two times in this narrative, it says the midwives, the Egyptians, wow. were the mm-hmm. ones who feared God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's—it's intentional that God isn't mentioned by name at the beginning of the narrative because it's setting up this idea of, and then they're the the first ones, and twice it highlights that they feared God. Yeah, and they didn't know God. It's not like they had mm-hmm. the Bible and they had—they <laughs> just mm-hmm. knew that they had met. They probably heard the stories by being around so many. Mm-hmm of the Israelite people mm-hmm. and they, there was something attractive about them, something about this God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, that they made them fear God versus fearing Pharaoh, which meant death. Like mm-hmm. they, they feared the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who they barely knew that wasn't even their own God over their own right. ruler right. who could have killed them. And I love that God responds to them with kindness, you know, these outsiders. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of, like, Hagar, that story, mm-hmm. too, who's mm-hmm. also... Hagar, yeah. who's also an Egyptian. Egyptian. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... And I think, uh, you know, Erica, you, you mentioned this already, but mm-hmm. but just the fact that their their names are given, Shifra mm-hmm. and their, their names are given in, in a story in which these... You know, co- commentators, the, at least from the commentaries that I read, they're, they're kind of torn. There's, there's uh, not... There's, it's not unanimous... Who this this Pharaoh actually is? Mm-hmm. Like we don't we don't know. Like he's, his name's not given. Right. And then even the the elders, uh, the Israelite elders, their names mm-hmm. are not are not given. Mm-hmm. And so it, it kind of highlights that. Like right. you have you have these prominent men who who are taking action, who are making moves, and yet it's these women who are highlighted as as being God fearing and who God honors. He honors them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's incredible. It's incredible to see how how God does that. Um, and so, uh, so we have this birth account, which, you know, it's kind of, kind of reminds me of, of Jesus. Jesus has this, this birth account and then it goes, jumps from, uh, his birth to, uh, later in life. And, and that's what we see happening for Moses is, is it goes from birth, birth story, amazing birth story to, uh, to, to later in life. And so Moses, the next time we see him, he's, he's probably, or maybe 40 years have passed. Uh, he's an adult now, and um, and Moses decides to defend the Israelite over and against the Egyptian, which which goes pretty poorly for him. I mean, it's not it's not something it's not what what I would hold up as being this like great moralistic story about Moses. And you know, if I was to pick one, I probably wouldn't wouldn't have thought to pick that one. But um, but this is what's chosen. This is what's recorded about. This is the first recorded event, first significant event of Moses' adult life, and so. So what are we supposed to learn about him here? Yeah, and I think how we get here, I like your point where it's like the story of Jesus, like it has his birth account. But interesting in the story of Jesus, it's the Jewish king that wants to kill all the firstborn sons. And then they have to flee to Egypt for safety. Right, yeah. So even the irony of the birth of Jesus, everything about Jesus is just 
God renewing and redeeming everything in his in the Old Testament. And it's just it's just a beautiful story that and and but I think going back to your question, it really is that God Moses God allows Moses to be raised in this home that's not his own. Joseph lived part of his life in in Jacob's house. So Joseph has understands his brothers, understands the covenant. He would, you know, the circumcision, my guess is Moses probably wasn't circumcised, you know, mm-hmm. because his mom let him go unless she, he was, well, he might've been as a baby and then maybe, you know, but we did, but he definitely wasn't raised in the Jewish home, in the Israelite home. So he, he goes into the court and, but he knows there's something about him that's different. Like he, maybe he looks a tad different. He, he just knows he's different and God puts him in a place where he sees the cruelty and he had, he, he has to do something. So I believe God raised him up for that moment and puts him right there. And he sees the cruelty because it, it seems like the cruelty is getting worse and worse. It seems like it's, it's brewing. This one Pharaoh is, is getting angry. And then as, as things are brewing, he really wants to suppress the people and, and God puts Moses in that position to make a decision. And obviously I don't think God wanted Moses to, to kill the man. I think God that, but that led to Moses having to flee and the, the next, the next part of the narrative. Yeah. And I, and I think what Moses is doing, I think, I think what we see Moses doing is he's, he's choosing to identify with, with the lowly. Yeah. He's choosing to humble himself. Mm-hmm. He's choosing to say, you know, he's, he's coming from the, the king's home, the king's palace, which is, which is ironic given, mm-hmm. given the, the mandate that the king made. But he's, he's saying, no, I'm, I, I'm going to choose to identify with him. I want to protect them. I mean, he's, he's, he's taking action to, to care for them, to, mm-hmm. to protect them, to, to help them. And yet even still, even, even in his identifying with them, it's not really well received. I mean, the, the, the Israelite, as he comes to them, as they're, they're fighting, tries to break it up and says, who, who made you our ruler and our judge? Mm-hmm. And so, so why do you think his help is not received? Yeah, I mean, part of it maybe is God's plan to get him to Midian so that he can have this moment mm-hmm. of, like, I've got to trust God. What if they were like, oh, sweet, you're, you're, you're right-hand man mm-hmm. to, the, to the Pharaoh, so you're the guy who's going to get things done. You know, that what God's plan wasn't that Moses did things literally by wheeling and dealing with Pharaoh. That wasn't God's plan. Mm-hmm. God's plan was he did that a little more with Joseph. Yeah. Joseph had a chance to, to have a lot of influence and with the dreams. But God wanted Moses to be pulled away. Interesting is Moses. So I would I, we can't know exactly, but we do know that God Moses needed that season to go yeah, to see. Absolutely. Uh, and notice his name is Raul and Jethro. It's the same name being used in different contexts. But Moses needed to go. Midians, this is really cool. That was one of Abraham's other sons, their descendant. And it's Midian traders that married Ishmaelites who sent Joseph to Egypt. So the whole story is tying back. But Moses needed that time there to, to trust God. And I would say Joseph also got that in prison. Yeah, Joseph had that time in prison. Leader seems to be misunderstood Mm -hmm. and have to pull. And Moses needed to go to a well and meet a woman. Mm -hmm. Like some previous people in the Genesis narrative. And like Jesus comes to a well Mm -hmm. and meets a woman. So you can see the ties. But I believe God, Moses needed that. He needed to be removed from it so that he, God could work in his heart so he could trust God. 
And Paul has a similar story. Paul yeah. goes from being the Pharisee, he has to pull away for a while, then he kind of rejoins the movement of, of God's church. So as we, as we continue to see this, this story unfold, um, at the end of chapter 2, we, we, start, we, we finally see God appear on the scene. Um, and, it, and it talks about how God, God is going to remember his covenant with his people. Um, and so when it says that at the end of chapter 2 that, that he remembers his covenant, what does that mean? I mean, did, did he forget? Yeah. So when God remembers, you know, it's obviously not like people who remember who have forgotten, but um, it's always when he shows his faithfulness, when he acts on his faithfulness, um, he, he shows that he's going to keep his covenant, you know, and I think the language is important too, because it kind of is from our perspective. It looks as if he has remembered mm -hmm. and forgotten, you know, kind of like when he rests on the Sabbath, he doesn't right. need rest, but we need rest and we need to remember and we need to see that he's mm -hmm. faithful. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, so Moses is the continuation of God's faithfulness to the covenant. And he, but it just happens in a different way. It happens one way with Abraham. It happens way with Isaac, with Jacob, the 12 sons. The covenant's continuing, but God is using mm -hmm. just circumstances in the world to continue to, to fulfill his promise to them. Yeah. And ultimately, it gets lots of kids, gets lots of descendants, and it gets them out of Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, and, then, and there's even, I mean, in, in Genesis 12, God... God kind of predicts this. He's, yeah. He says yeah. it's gonna you're, they're gonna you're gonna have 430 years in captivity. Yeah, and and yet uh, I, one one commentator I read on this said made the point that it's it's not really God remembering his his covenant is is not necessarily recollection, rather it's it's uh, it's application. Like he's choosing he's choosing to honor his covenant at this point in time. Like he's choosing to work now, and so it's it's just showing that God. God is about to act on our behalf. He's about to act on the on behalf of Israel. Um, so, so let's talk about that for for a moment. Um, God, God comes down. Uh, why should this signal to us that that He hears our cries and He's He's concerned for His people? God comes down. Yeah, I mean, for people who ha have suffered especially like the uh, African-American community when they literally were in slavery. The Moses, the Exodus narrative has been one of the most important, if not the import, most important part of the Bible. I think they cut it out of like the slave yeah. Bibles. So the slave Bibles, the slave hunters would cut out Exodus because they knew the power of this story. So mm -hmm. for those who are suffering, they, they see a God who is near, a God who hears their cries, a God, but also a God who's, works in his timing too like it's it, they understand even if the suffering continues that god is still working and god still cares for him but ultimately god will redeem them so i i think it's a good it's good for us to to look back to the exodus it's good for us every jewish person ever like that was their moment that they looked back to the passover and the exodus that god was god had to come and when i say the exodus it really starts with moses it starts with the birth of moses and his parents do put him in the river like the Pharaoh ask. Yeah. But God, God saves him on a boat, just like he saves Noah and his family, you know, everything. And the tar and pitch like that Noah puts on the boat. So people who, so the fact that God comes down, I think it, it, this is good news for us. This is good news for us who are in times of comfort, but for those who are suffering, 
they, they can hear God and they can know that he is with them. And for all of us are going to hit times of suffering, whether they're large scale suffering or small scale suffering. So this account is, is good news. Yeah. And his timeline is so different than ours. Yeah. 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 Even as we wait for yeah. like Christ's return, you yeah. know, like that yeah. it's just different yeah, longer yeah. <laughs> than we right. would than we right. yeah. yeah yeah i think um one, one of this this actually the the wording from from genesis or from exodus one through three actually reminds me of of a story in genesis that, that's kind of unusual but it's actually a pivot point story in the genesis account which is the tower of babel mm-hmm. um, you actually see this this language in exodus i mean what what are the people the people are being oppressed israel is being oppressed and, and how are they being oppressed? They're, they're being asked to use brick and mortar to build storehouses for Egypt. They're being asked to, to build this city that, that is being led by this ruler who is oppressing them against their will, but he is, is in opposition to God. And it's clear he's in opposition to God. Where do we see brick and mortar used? At the Tower of Babel. They're trying to use, man is trying to get to God. They're trying, by, by their efforts, they're trying to build a city where they can reach God. And so what does God do? He comes down. He comes and, down. And he laughs at them. He, he, he kind of mocks it. He so, mocks what they're doing. Yeah, like Pharaoh had plan A, make them work harder. Plan B, tell the midwives, you know. And then plan C, throw them in the river. And God, just like they had a plan at Babel, and God thwarts their plan so that right. his his plan could be could be done. Because his plan yeah. was, was a plan of love and mercy for the people. And... They forgot Joseph. They forgot that they would have been in famine if God wouldn't have brought Joseph to them. So, yeah, it's amazing to see how the narrative is unfolding. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the fact that that God come, God comes down this time because He hears their cries. Yeah, it's not it's not human effort that that God comes down for. It's, Babel, it's for, yeah. our, for our cries. It's for for a posture of humility and saying, "God, we need you. We need you to come down." And we're we're a people that, that is responding to to God coming down. God has come down to us through His Son Jesus. He's made Himself available to us. That's what He's He's, he's the God who's He's transcendent, but He's also personal. And we see we see how personal He is in this account. Where where in in, in Exodus three, uh, moving to Exodus three, Moses Moses finds this strange appearance. He sees this burning bush. And and he finds that he's in the presence of God, and and so um, as we move to this the, the burning bush, we're, we're seeing that God God is revealing Himself to Moses. He's 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 showing who He is. He's he's this holy, mighty God, and yet He is close. He draws near. Um, why do you think Moses? Why do you think he doubts God's call of him? I mean, like we all do. I think it's just he's like God. Are you sure? Like, are you sure? Like, and and even for that situation, he's like, if I go, they don't like me. They don't. They kicked me out. Yeah. They think I'm yeah. a I'm a traitor. Yeah. They don't. I'm not the right guy for the job. And he's probably comfortable in Midian. He's probably like, I'm okay here. I, you know, I mean, he remembers the oppression. I'm sure he he has flashbacks from it, mm-hmm. and he has flashbacks from his childhood. But he's just like, God, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I think when he looks at himself and said, yeah, yeah. his inadequacy. Yeah, he's yeah. like, I can't do it, God. Yeah. I, I'll i get killed by Pharaoh or they'll kill me. Yeah. Like, it's a no-win situation. Mm-hmm. Let me just yeah. stay here. Thanks for giving me a family and a wife. Yeah. Let me And right. some kids. Right. Let me no stay here. Me. <laughs> no one likes me there. Yeah. Everybody likes me here. Let yeah. me stay here. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's a part of me that really relates to the self doubt. Like I I definitely deal with that, and and so for for Moses to to experience that, I mean, when it, he asked God, he's it's almost like he's looking for for something, for God to tell him something to to give him reason to to doubt his doubt. And whenever I do that, what I'm really looking for is what I'm hoping is the person will tell me either something that affirms myself to make me feel better. Like, okay, you're right. Like I, I have something within myself that will make me, that, that will make me able to do what you're asking me to do. Or maybe I, maybe I'm looking for them to, to point out something about the circumstances. Maybe, maybe there's something about my circumstances that I'm not seeing rightly, but when you put it that way, that, that gives me the assurance to know, okay, yes, I can do this. This, this is going to happen. I, I believe it. I trust you. But God doesn't do either of those things. He doesn't point to Moses' ability, and he doesn't point to some circumstance to say, okay, like now, now you can see this clearly. God says, I'm going to go with you. He points to himself and says, no, no, like I'm with you, Moses. That's why you can have assurance in doing what I'm calling you to do. It's not that, that there's something great about yourself. It's like we've been saying, Moses isn't the hero. God is. God is doing this. He's at work here. And so, so then, so why does God give His name to Moses? It says, "I am who I am," but He didn't give His name to Jacob in the rest account. Yeah, as you studied it, why? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's a great question. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly why He didn't do that for. for uh, we were hoping you'd be our answer. Eric. Right. Come on, man. Um, but it, but it's it's interesting when whenever whenever Moses is asking this, it's kind of a weird question to ask. It's like, okay, I'm gonna go. I'm going to go to the Israelite people who I, I think, I, I think they'll reject me, but I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to go to them. Uh, but let me ask you this. Who's, who's sending me? Like, they're going to ask for your name. It's like, well, God already said he's the God of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So, so there could be, you know, hundreds of years of, of enslavement. Maybe, maybe they've forgotten. Maybe they've forgotten some of this. Maybe that's... Where the Egyptians had all these gods, a complicated yeah. system. They, they, they saw the, they saw the power of the, the Egyptian gods. They right. hadn't seen much power in this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, so, so, so in, in a sense, it's like he's asking why, when I go to them, what's going to make the Israel's, Israelites' ears perk up? What's going to make them think, okay, this is validation. This, this, this gives me credentials. Now, now, now you can trust me because this, this God is on my side. But he's, he's, not, he's not just asking for his name. Really, he's asking his, about his character and saying, what about you should let the Israelites trust that their circumstances are about to change? So, so what do you think God is revealing about himself by saying, this is my name. I am who I am. Because that has to be his name. Yeah. He's not like the God of the river or the God of the thunder or the God that conquers the sea. Yes, God. He is I am. Yeah. He is it. I'm everything. I, yeah. Egyptians, your gods don't even come close. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's not even on the radar. I am. I am the existence of being. I am the creator mm -hmm. of everything. Yeah. And yeah, he had to give it because that's his name. Yeah. And when Jesus continually says I am and they want to kill him over and over again because he's using this forbidden phrase mm -hmm. in in their even their culture you know 2,000 years after this this Moses account uh, yeah and I think God is just revealing that's who he is so on that note we're going to wrap things up but we really hope that you guys go back and re read this narrative again 
and we have what three things that we want to just highlight that we can learn about God through this. Yeah, so so I hope that I hope that what we're seeing from this, I hope that, that what you see unfolding in Exodus one through three is first that, that God's plans are certain. I think I think we all need to hear that. I think we need to hear that God God's plan even when man is working against it, even even when our circumstances seem to be counteracting that. No, God God's plans are certain. They're never in jeopardy. He is working on our he, God's plans are gonna continue to, to come about. They're gonna they're, they're gonna be fulfilled. Um, so God's plans are certain. The second thing is that God hears our cries. Amen. And it, it is a sweet thing to go before God and cry out to him. Let that be the place where we're crying out. Let's not run from him. Let's run to him and, and let him hear our cries. He, he, he's listening. He's listening to us. He is, he's for us. This is the third point. God acts on our behalf. We, we see that happening here. God, God is doing something for Israel that's going to change their lives. It's going to, he's, he's going to he's going to be he's going to bring about salvation. He's going to be, bring about rescue, and we we can be sure of that because of Jesus. We can be sure that God has already acted on our behalf, and that He is still working today. He's still doing something for us, and so we can lean on Him. We can trust Him. We should look to Him. And so, with that being said, I want to end. Uh, I want to end in, in Psalm eighty six. Just want to read this, um, the first half. Psalm 86 says this, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for you do, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. Which I think is, is what we see happening. What, what we all need to, to remember is, is the psalmist is working this out in their own life, of, of crying out to the Lord and, and, and looking for him to, to work. And, and then coming to the conclusion, God answers. God answers me. That's, that's why I go to him. So I encourage you guys, to we, we should go to the Lord because he answers us, he hears us, and he acts on our behalf. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great week. Praying for you.